0: The economy is crumbling, they say it's had its day. The workers are all rumbling, revolution's on the way. But I could never be a Marxist, it goes against the grain. And before you call me past it, give me a chance to explain. You see, come up to the Newell, he went with Danny Baker. you silly disco songs and reading Melody Baker. I'm singing down at Dunkirk. Welcome to Radical, a podcast about the radical aspects of politics, music and football. I'm your host, Kaz Mudde. Guest today is Tess Owen. Tess is a Vice News reporter who has been at Vice News since 2015 and is currently covering, as she describes it on Twitter, extremism and guns. In the last months, Tess has written several articles about the so-called Boogaloo Boys, the newest, particularly odd phenomenon within the US far-right. I will talk with her about covering the far-right in the US, about the Boogaloo Boys, and about their role in the current protest against institutional racism and police brutality. Welcome to the podcast, Tess. Thank you for having me. Before we turn our conversation to the Boogaloo Boys, ask have some standard introductory questions. First, what was the first sports team you ever supported?
1: I believe it was the Toronto Raptors. I was born in Toronto and uh, we moved to the UK when I was very small. But when I was a kid, I slept in a Raptors t-shirt. So
0: yeah, I think it was the Raptors. And second, what is your favorite political song?
1: I would have to say Nine to Five by Dolly Parton. It's an anthem for labour organising and workers' rights. And I even named my puppy Dolly. So,
0: um, Finally, what is your favourite political book?
1: I'd say that I think The New Jim Crow seems like an appropriate answer in this particular moment, because you know it's the book that made the country start to wake up to the injustice and racial disparities that pervaded almost every aspect of the criminal justice system. And clearly, as we can see now, we've got a long way to go.
0: Absolutely. I still remember reading it and it was one of the most depressing reads I've ever read really about this country and I've never seen the country in in the same way. So you started as a vice news reporter in 2015 and initially wrote on a broad variety of topics. When became extremism and particularly the extreme right your main focus?
1: When I first started I was writing a lot about civil rights Uh, including Black Lives Matter, which at that point was still quite a new movement. I wrote about police shootings. I wrote about hate crimes. I also wrote about crime in general and mass shootings. And then obviously we saw this mobilization of this phenomenon called the alt-right during the 2016 election. And I think that a, a lot of the first reporters on that beat were predominantly tech reporters who were seeing this like, you know, corners of the Internet just turn into these absolute cesspools. And then I was writing about the surge in hate crimes through the 2016 campaign and around Trump's election. Then I was writing about these recruitment drives from the far right on, we were seeing on college campuses. And then Charlottesville happened.
0: And so the T word has already been mentioned. And how is it to cover the far right under a far right president?
1: So I think one of the most insane and disturbing things is how normalized so much has become in the last few years. I wrote a long feature after Trump first came to office about how many people, That was about, I think, six I found, people in his administration who had ties to this anti-immigration group called FAIR. And FAIR started as a really, really fringe group and had been kind of worming its way into the mainstream over several decades. And to me, suddenly there were these people at the highest levels of government who were calling the shots on immigration policy, and they had ties to this group. And that to me was shocking. And I think a lot of people who read it were shocked. But as the years had gone on, they just kept hiring more people from FAIR, or groups linked to FAIR. And over time, it just became sort of like, so what? And then there's been the case for other groups who maybe like aren't hardcore Nazis, like, for example, the Proud Boys, which is far-right street-fighting gangs, what I like to call them. And they are xenophobic and misogynistic and homophobic and, you know, known for getting into brawls with Antifa. And then, you know, as the years go on, that, you know, they're there in their MAGA hats, they're outside Trump rallies, they're sitting behind Trump at his rallies. One of them, he launched a bid for a senator in Florida, it failed. But I think that like how these people are creeping into the mainstream and becoming normalized is really terrifying. And I think the other thing I would say is that one of the interesting things I've seen is how far right initially rallied around Trump, thinking that he was going to be this outsider and president who would enact these white nationalist policies and even if he has done that at times I think the fact that he has by virtue of operating within the quote swamp he's no longer their guy.
0: Yeah. And I recognize that very much I wrote something myself on nativism in the United States about 10 years ago and wrote about FAIR and other of these tenting groups. And many people had no clue that they even existed. And now a lot of people don't even bat their eyes when people from these organizations are interviewed by NPR or others as credible sources or like some kind of think tank on immigration. Now, you spoke of the Proud Boys, for example. Most of the far right, particularly in the streets, are still male, and most of the journalists who primarily cover the U.S. far right are also male. Are there specific advantages and or disadvantages to covering the far right as a woman? I'll
1: start with advantages. Advantage is that they often assume I'm stupid, (laughs) which can definitely work to my advantage Uh, to catch them off guard, maybe. The British accent, I think, also helps. One of my favourite things to do is to put on like a, a ditzy British woman persona, especially going up to people and talking to them at rallies. You know, just acting stupid, like, you know, what's that patch mean? Or, you know, even if I know the answer, just to see what they say and it just sort of confuses them and then i i will say that i've probably had it pretty easy relatively speaking as far as being like harassed or threatened online has gone you know i know a lot of people who have been stalked or doxxed or terrorized and you know i get waves of harassment uh, hate mail but so far I mean maybe it means I'm not doing my job right but I've had it pretty easy and I I will say I think there's a reason that there are not a lot of non-white reporters on this beat those who are I admire the hell out of you and the tenor of harassment and hate directed towards Jewish journalists for example is much uglier and obviously much more sinister I'd say and then in terms of like physically attending rallies I don't really like to go on my own there's one anecdote that I, I usually tell which was it was from October 2017, so a few months after Charlottesville. And I'd flown to Shelbyville, Tennessee for this White Lives Matter rally. And it was a bunch of these like hardcore neo-Nazi guys. And in this crowd, there was a tall man wearing a white suit and he had a Pepe the Frog, pin on his lapel and he stood out and and I was curious about what these Nazis are wearing to rallies and what that says about the image they're trying to promote and I asked him why he was wearing a suit and he said being a woman out here you're lucky you don't get raped and um you know the purpose of that was to you know knock me down a peg and to probably spotlight the fact that I was surrounded by men who didn't want me there I don't think it was a threat but in terms of just sort of knocking me back a little bit and, it, I mean, it worked, you know, I was a bit dazed and, and, and then I sort of, you know, continued about my day and continued up reporting. But I think that that's just a sort of snapshot of, of um, how they'll kind of weaponize that sort of that language to make you not want to be there.
0: Absolutely. Um, yeah. So more recently, you have written several great pieces about the newest stars on the far right scene, the so-called Boogaloo Boys. Can you tell us who they are and where they came from?
1: The word boogaloo in this context is a code for civil war. And the boogaloo meme has kind of been around for a few years, actually uh, longer than that, because it was sort of used to refer to like an uprising against the government among like kind of libertarians and then like second amendment gun rights crowd. But it's taken on this new life in the past couple of years. And then I'd say about six months ago, it started to kind of formalize online. I would peg that to two events specifically. One would be the death of, Duncan Lemp, who is this 21-year-old anti-government extremist. And he was killed during a no-knock raid in March by police uh, in Maryland. And he has become basically like a martyr for the Boogaloo Boy movement. The second thing, I think, was the climate of uncertainty and instability around coronavirus and the political tension. And I think they kind of seized on that moment. You know, they had their martyr and they sort of, exploded onto the scene. And so the, the Boogaloo Boys, as they're known, these guys who go around, they've got like Hawaiian shirts, tactical gear, and AR-15s. And their MO is ultimately Civil War. But there are a few complicated things about it. <laughs> One is that it's, first, it's, it's not a group. You know, that's the most important thing to say. It's not a group. It's like, I guess, a movement or an ideology, which makes it kind of difficult to figure out exactly who's in it. And I think there's a kind of a, it ranges from hardline libertarians to would-be terrorists, honestly, like, you know, or really hardcore anti-government people. And then probably with some white nationalists thrown into the mix as well.
0: So it sounds a little bit like the militias in the 1990s, which also attracted these kind of gun rights activists, anti-government people and white supremacists. What are some important differences?
1: Some of the important differences between the old school militia movement, I think one of the most important differences is that the Boogaloo Boys are extremely anti-law enforcement. Sometimes the militias, they see themselves as like an intermediary and they sometimes actually like to play at being in law enforcement. You know, we saw that in Charlottesville where they kind of showed up and they were like acting as police. And in this case, they are extremely anti-law enforcement, but their opposition to law enforcement is rooted in the standoffs between anti-government extremists and federal agents like we've seen in Waco or Ruby Ridge. So this is like the mobilizing factor for them. And so what they want is they want a violent encounter with law enforcement that would, in theory, be so large that it would spark a civil war. And so this is kind of where they come out now, which is they've tried to position themselves as allies to Black Lives Matter during these protests against police brutality. And in some cases, they might actually believe that they are there to support Black Lives Matter. But we've also seen examples where they have co-opted or even try to escalate things for their own gain.
0: Right. And I wanted to talk to you about that, because uh, two weeks ago, the protest in my hometown of Athens, Georgia, there were a few Boogaloo Boys, which, to be honest, I'd never seen before or heard that were in the region. And more recently, I've heard quite a lot about their activity in the current protest. Do they have one specific role? Have they been mostly supportive or have they been mostly outside of it? what did you see?
1: Like I said, they're not a formal group. So it's hard to say that their activities are the same everywhere. You know, in some places, they just showed up in their shirts with their guns. And I've seen some places like in Milwaukee, protesters, the Black Lives Matter protesters made it very clear that they were not really welcome. Some cases, they've been kind of lukewarm supported, considering that they're also there to protest police violence. But then there have also been a number of examples now, really, really troubling examples, I think, of where they have Actually, sought to exploit the moment of protest and the climate to basically create more violence. And one example was in Las Vegas a few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, arrested three so-called boogaloo boys for basically plotting. They'd been plotting violence around the anti-lockdown protests, actually. And then when the protests against police brutality started, they were like, Great, this is our moment. And they were arrested with explosives that they'd allegedly plotted to throw into the crowd and spark confusion and chaos. And they wanted to provoke shooting on one side or the other. And there was another cheering, which you probably heard about in the last week. A guy who was already in custody for allegedly murdering a sheriff's deputy. They've now charged him for killing a federal security officer in Oakland while protests were going on, about 0.5 miles away, actually. This guy had written about Boogaloo on social media. He was actually in the Air Force and he'd found his truck with explosives and guns and a Boogaloo patch. And he'd written, boogaloo in blood on the car these are two examples i think that shows that there's even though they have fun shirts and funny slogans and they might be trying to position themselves as allies it's actually got these really dangerous underpinnings
0: absolutely and so the boogaloo is type of a civil war is it the same as what in the 1980s 1990s was often called a racial holy war or is it not necessarily a racial civil war
1: I think people have often conflated that and I think this is where people get into trouble because I don't think people on the far right like the neo-Nazi crowd they're known as accelerationists you know the hardcore neo-Nazis they do want a so-called racial holy war and they often use the term boogaloo to refer to that but in terms of the people who are out with the with the shirts and everything you know I, I don't think it's right to call them white supremacists or say that they're after a like a race war That doesn't mean that they are any less dangerous in my mind. And certainly they're also trying to co-opt a a movement that's not really about them. But yeah, I think that sometimes people have made the mistake of conflating those two quite distinct ideologies.
0: Right. And I will come back to that a bit later. But in a recent piece, which I really enjoyed, you wrote about (coughs) the phenomenon on social media and in particular on TikTok. What did you find and why is that so important?
1: So yeah I kind of fell down this TikTok rabbit hole when actually I was trying to find evidence of Boogaloo Boys at protests so I was trying to look at all different social media to see who was posting what and if I could find any 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 videos from the ground at protests and so then I just went down this rabbit hole where I was like oh my god it's an entire community on here and one of the most strange things it's just like on TikTok it's all kind of like cheerful and like coordinated dances and and funny jokes and it's a lot of teens and people in their you know young 20-somethings who are like intactable gear cracking jokes about civil war and um, and, dancing with guns and it's quite jarring really and I was trying to understand like what this meant and I one of the things that seems is that this aesthetic with the boogaloo is kind of becoming creeping a little bit into the mainstream and you know these people are kind of latching onto it even if they don't really understand what it means and what it's about that to me is extremely extremely troubling and One researcher, Megan Squire, who's been, she's been tracking this really closely. She was saying that the ideology is so broad and it's not totally clear beyond the civil war aspect. And there's these fun shirts and there's community and and everyone's young and these slogans that attracts a lot of people to it. But it also attracts some like pretty unstable people, especially the violent underpinnings aspect. So you just don't really know. It's kind of like a, a range of people you've got in there and it's quite hard to pin
0: down. Although the Boogaloo itself comes from a movie which is related to music. Music Mm in itself doesn't play a role with the Boogaloo Boys, right? It's just about style.
1: Right, exactly. And to an extent, that might be all it is. (laughs) In some cases, it's just like LARPing, live-action role-playing. These guys who think it's funny and crack, you know, they're just having a laugh. But then on the other end of it, you have people who are like potential domestic terrorists who are also getting involved in this. And it's that's why it's growing so much, a bit of a mess.
0: Yeah, and it's also kind of an odd modern mix of the alt-right and the militia. Because on the one end the alt-right has this kind of irony in it, and the militia have all the tactical gear. And I guess it particularly, whereas militias tend to be all very serious, the Boogaloo Boys, because of that kind of ironic alt-righty meme-type fashion, make it more interesting to kids on tiktok who are not necessarily coming out of a far-right subculture
1: yeah you really hit the nail on the head actually i don't think i could have said it better myself um, in trying to figure out exactly what like you know who the parents in the ecosystem of the Boogaloo Boys are. The only other thing I'd throw in there actually is these like hardcore accelerationists because the accelerationists are very anti-law enforcement and I was tracking the accelerationists on platforms like Telegram and I mean there are some channels just dedicated specifically to to advocating violence against law enforcement and federal agents in, specific, in particular. So I feel like that also is part of it as well and then you have the militias as you say and then like yeah the un- irony and the shit posting up
0: from the alt right. Right. And maybe we can talk a little bit more about the accelerationist. This is much more the classic white nationalist white supremacist crowd, right? Do they have groups or is this more an ideology that has support within traditional white nationalist white supremacist groups?
1: I actually wrote a story about accelerationists using Telegram and how that was a sign that these particular accelerationist groups like Atomwaffen, for example, were at the base, how they were drawing on tips um, used by Groups like ISIS, because ISIS has been on Telegram for a long time. They've relied on that, like both public facing channels and private channels, the public facing to recruit people and then private to kind of like solidify their communities. And I saw that acceleration the far right was sort of doing the same thing. And yeah, there are some actual membership groups. They prefer to think of themselves as operating in small cells. But then you also have people who are radicalized by the ideology and go and commit horrible horrible acts of violence the ideology's bidding like we saw for example the awful Christchurch mosque shootings uh, last year that was by a guy who'd been on HN, HM, which no longer re really exists sort of does but he was an accelerationist and he didn't belong as far as we're aware to a particular group but he was definitely radicalized by that ideology and you know the ideology just to explain it is the idea of using violence to speed up the collapse of society and start a race war and then basically so they can establish their white homeland, right? essentially.
0: Which of course has a long history in the accelerationist idea within extremist movements, including neo-fascist movements of the 1970s. I was thinking yeah. about accelerationist and boogaloo boys. How does it relate to Trump and his presidency? A lot of people throw all of the far right together and just argue that the far right and Trump, they have the same agenda and pretty much work hand in glove. Are the Boogaloo Boys and Accelerationists being emboldened, encouraged by Trump? Or are they a consequence of frustration with the slow pace of Trump? That's
1: a very good question. I will say that one thing is that pre-Trump, even though you know, the seeds of the alt-right were there, obviously and you know we had things like dylan roof you know whenever i thought about neo-nazis or militias or neo-confederate or white supremacists in america i thought of you know aging old guys with beer bellies not these like young guys who are you know maybe have military experience maybe currently in the military so that's been very disturbing and that's definitely the case for the accelerationist groups the boogaloo boys is that they're young that's the first part of that the second part of that is the accelerationists you're right the accelerationist ideology it's a very nihilistic ideology and they talk about it online as having the black pill for being black pilled. So before it was red-pilled and that was about Trump. And now being black pilled is basically you've given up on Trump. You've given up on the idea of there ever being a president who's gonna cater to your ideas, so you have to just throw it all away.
0: So finally, what do you believe is the main misperception about the Boogaloo Boys?
1: I'd say the main misperception about the Boogaloo Boys, I touched on a bit earlier. First of all, you know, they're not a group. They're an ideology or a movement and and it's quite wide-ranging. They're not all white supremacists that doesn't make them any less dangerous and they're also in terms of them trying to position themselves as allies to the current movement against you know for racial justice and and against police brutality you know i'd be very cautious to say to let them in to that movement because i think that at the end of the day they're trying to exploit this moment and this movement for their own ideas and i've asked them i was like they keep arguing with me and saying, why, we're just about quality and freedom and justice, and we want to be there to support Black Lives Matter protesters. And I say, well, in that case, why do you have to wear the shirts and go in there as a boogaloo boy? Why can't you just go there as a protester? I mean, I don't stand why you got to make it about you. So I, I think that's the main thing I would, I would warn, I guess.
0: Do you think they're a fat or... Will they still be around in ten years?
1: Well, I don't. I definitely don't think they'll be called the Boogaloo Boys because, well, maybe they will, but they're quite savvy with rebranding and they're quite concerned with their brand. Some of the gatekeepers online are at least. They're constantly trying to introduce new language or new euphemisms. So, like you know, it's whether it's Blue Igloo Boys, or like bujahideen or Big Luau. In fact, one researcher I spoke to, she said that in one of their private Discord servers, they've actually set up a bot that scolds anyone for using the word Boogaloo because they're now trying to distance themselves from it. So, I mean, like all of these movements, there's a ton of infighting, nobody really knows what they want. So, it's not clear, I think, whether the Boogaloo Boys itself will exist, but I think in terms of perhaps some of the the anti-government impulses that have been around for a long time, as you said, as long as the anti-government movement has a existed so whatever the shape or form that will take in i don't know i don't know if it'll be the boogaloo boys or maybe they'll have
0: different shirts okay, well thank you very much for coming on the show tess thank you so much for having me and if you want to know more about tess owen and follow her work at vice news you can go to the website of vice which is www.vice.com and then look for contributor tess owen or follow her on twitter at miss tess owen